Uh, I don't know. Job, for some reason, in the Bible, which I guess is the has to do with Hebrew. And English is just weird. There's, it's um, go, no, do. They didn't have Webster back then. <laughs> Should be do or. Why is it do and not go? And it's no and go. See, these are all English things that don't make any sense. And everything's meaningless. Okay, so uh, this is Job. We're going to talk about the book of Job. Um, and what the book of Job deals with is called Deuteronomistic, or you can say Deuteronomistic. I've heard that said either way. I always say Deuteronomistic theology. Um, which gets that name from the book of Deuteronomy, which at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, there's what are called blessings and cursings, or maybe it should be more blessings and punishments, where God says to the nation of Israel through Moses, as they're about to go into the land of Canaan, if you worship God and you keep the law, the Torah, and you do what's right, you will be blessed. But if you worship other gods and sacrifice to idols, you will be cursed. I just don't like the way to say cursed. You, you'll be, there'll be punishment. You will be punished. Uh, so blessings and punishments. Sometimes it's called retribution theology, and sometimes maybe transactional theology. That if, if you do good, you'll be blessed. If you do evil, you will be punished. So this is taught in the book of Deuteronomy. It's taught in the Bible, very much in the Old Testament. Is it in the New Testament as well? Um, so my first question is, is that theology correct? Okay. Say more about that. Well, if it's for eternity, you do good, you will be blessed. So ultimately, ultimately, but if you're looking at in this current lifetime, if I do good, then I will be blessed and not suffer, then that's not going to be the happening. Yeah. It also depends on how you view punishment. Like, because there's consequences. I mean, there's consequences both in good and in evil. But, you, you know, how you perceive those consequences, you could feel like you're being punished, even if you're not actually being punished. Yeah. I like the idea of natural consequences instead of just arbitrary punishment as natural consequences. Also, <clears throat> it also rhymes with the Buddhist theory of uh, karma. If, yeah. you, if you're doing good things, then that builds up like a wheel and the good things continue to to pile up. Yeah. Uh, or as we say in English, what goes around comes around. How do people that believe in karma deal with suffering? Bad karma? Unless it does something horrible. Yeah. And since all of us have done something horrible, it's not yeah. hard to find something. There's not a lot of grace. Oh, shouldn't have done that. Not a lot of grace in karma. <coughs> It's transaction. Get better than you deserve. It's transaction. I mean, I don't know if 
if it's true, true, but I know that even in the, you asked in the New Testament, like clearly people thought it because they asked Jesus when the, you know, who, who sinned, his parents yeah. or him. Like, yeah. it was, so they, they clearly thought that. And, and I know that in my own life, there's been the times where I have felt that God was protecting me from something or protecting others from something by punishing me. You know, like it's, it's like, I've done something bad, so God's protecting other people from that. You know, it's, it's that, I don't know, there's just a lot of, I think it's easy to get into that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much a cultural thing. I know um, I used to play tennis a little bit, just not, not officially, but just kind of for fun. But there was a thing that I noticed in tennis is that when you hit, hit it, and it hits the top of the net and just barely goes over, and you get the point. But you know, you got lucky. We would just say, "Oh, you must be living right." Yeah. Or, I must be living right. So something good happened to me. Must be living right. Um, sound of music. There's a song about somewhere in my youth or childhood I must have done something good. Because there you are standing there loving me. Beautiful song. If you do good, good things happen. You do something, and then a lot of people, I, I think, when something, some point of suffering, something negative happens, one of your first instincts is, uh, maybe, what about you know, is God telling me something? And I think there are passages in the Psalms that talk about sin. Like when when the psalmist is suffering, he does an analysis of his life to say, "If there's sin in my life, um, yeah." Then the rain falls on the just and then we all know that really bad people have great lives and never get caught for the bad things. Some of them do, but like like you know, there's evil, evil stuff going on. Yeah. It's a you take it a branch weird, but one of the lessons that I've learned since coming to Otter Creek is that it's something that is perceived by one person as good and one person as evil. Like the flood of twenty ten, you know, hurt a lot of businesses, but it helped other people who were struggling in their business with like construction and stuff like that. Like we we view one thing and think, oh, we're being punished, where that same person can have a different view of that and go, oh, thank you. I'm so thankful this happened. Yeah. So there's there's also the perception of, like, what is this? What is good and what is evil? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what I see in the book of Job is an extended discussion of the truth of this humanistic theology. Um, and, you know, I, I think when we think, I think about the book of Job these days, I kind of read it as Jewish people arguing about theology. Uh, because you have Job and you have his friends and you have the prologue and the epilogue. And we're going to read the prologue today. <clears throat> but, um, and when you think about God's inspiration, we've talked about the wisdom literature as really observational a lot of it and but it's still in the Bible so it's God's word and the book of Job 
seems to be, you know, people writing or theologizing about this issue, this problem of suffering, and reflecting on what God has revealed about blessing and cursing, and then raising questions about that and exploring that. Um, but it, the book of Job is God's revelation to us, but it's a revelation of a, of a dialogue between this tension between retribution theology and the fact that some people do suffer. Job suffers, and it's clear in the book that he did nothing wrong. Um, so, um, I think, too, about what would happen if the righteous were always rewarded and the wicked always punished. What would the world be like if that was the case? Well, we would be dependent upon Christ uh, under those circumstances because it's all about us. Instead of, instead of uh, knowing exactly what our blessings come from. Yeah. It's not about me. And it's the... It's the benefit of being poor when you get married is you know you're not getting married, they're not marrying you for your money. You know. Whereas if you're wealthy, you never you're never sure. <laughs> um, I mean, why? You tell us. <laughs> What'd you say? Now you tell us. <laughs> yeah, you always have to ask that question. Um, so if it was the case that God always blessed people who did right. How would is that correct to say? Would God? How would God know why you're do, why you're serving? Why you're doing the right thing? Well, that was Satan's argument, wasn't it? With, yeah. With Job. Yeah, that's what. Okay, we're okay. He, he bless him, so he's yeah, he's yeah. gonna love you. Yeah. That's making an assumption that we can be 100 percent righteous. Like, I'm not, I mean, I know I'm not capable of, mm-hmm. very rarely am I capable of even 100% righteous without a little bit of my own intentions being yeah. selfish or like, so how would one define righteous? Yeah, so maybe we always deserve some suffering, even <laughs> transactional ideology. <laughs> it seems like the world would be better if, as a whole. The, the righteous world and and we and the wicked will punish. You kind of know. Okay, boy, that person. <laughs> and we do ultimately think that's the way we want it to be. Is there, wants, there should be some justice? It's always really nice if someone's like a hot stove, you know, where you touch it and you're like, oh. That was bad. Yeah. No idea anymore. That's not how it works. It feels good at first. Like, oh, yeah. you want to do it? Yeah. You want your friends to break big houses because you know they'd be good people. Yeah. <laughs> so again, I think. Yes. Just saying, like, you want all of your friend group. You can measure the goodness of someone based upon their material blessings. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. The, the richest. People must be the right, most righteous. If this was the way it works, you can easily tell. We're kind of getting into 21st century ethics here. <laughs> 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 so, 
All right, so we're going to read Job 1 and 2 together, and we'll pause and feel free to ask questions as we go through. But the question is, you know, what what is this? these chapters um, tell us about or teach us about suffering? So um, let's read through this. Um, in the land of Uz, uh, where's that? <laughs> Isn't that a few lands down from Ur? Ur and Uz, yeah, it's close on down, right? Um, yeah, I think it's east. Is it between the Euphrates? Yeah, it's over there, like modern day. A long time ago. <laughs> it is kind of a unclear reference in. Um, so Job is, we can just tell from the book, you know, the historical setting of the book, this doesn't necessarily mean when it was written, but he's before Jerusalem and the Torah and all that stuff because he seems to be a patriarch of his family. So the setting is, is as I was reading this, I'm just going to tell you, I, I don't think it sounds like it's actual historical stuff. Now, just keep that in the back of your mind. I, we'll, we'll go as we see, but as, as we go along, I'm like, this is really, if this is historical, and all these things, bad things happen to Job in one day, I mean, this is, ooh, that's tough. So, I mean, it could be historical, and I don't, it doesn't matter for the meaning of it one way or the other to me, um, but it's just a sense of genre. You know, as you read, you think about what genre is a story, and we'll just, we'll just see what you think. Um, in the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. I don't know what the equivalent would be in our day and age, but wealthy, very wealthy. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. So, righteous, in case they had sinned, he... Uh, sacrifice and offering for them. Now, verse 6, one day the angels, this is the NIV translation, uh, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. So, let's just pause here for a minute. So, the word for angels, or the literal Hebrew, is um, the sons of God. Um, does anybody have a different translation than angels? It says heavenly beings. Heavenly beings. <laughs> is it? Is the word Elohim? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I picked this up not very long ago, but there's a, a translation that I think there's a print version of it, but I use it all online. It's called the New English Translation, the Net Bible. It's like internet Bible, but um, it has tons of footnotes, and I thought the footnote on this was pretty good. 
Um, the sons of God in the Old Testament is generally taken to refer to angels. They are not actually sons of Elohim. The idiom is a poetic way of describing their nature and relationship to God. The phrase indicates their supernatural nature and their submission to God as a sovereign Lord. It may be classified as a genitive that expresses how individuals belong to a certain class or type, the supernatural. In the pagan literature, especially of Ugarit, the sons of God refers to the lesser gods or deities of the pantheon. Um, so this term, sons of God, is used elsewhere in the Old Testament and other ancient Near Eastern literature, meaning what we might call angels or supernatural beings. That's guardians Guardians of the galaxy? <laughs> oh, as guardians. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so, these sons of God are coming to present themselves before the Lord and in this character, Satan. And there's some question here. Let's click on this footnote. The word means adversary or with the article, the adversary. And this is, in the Hebrew here, it's technically the Satan. And the term Satan means an adversary. Or it can be like a prosecuting attorney. So one of the sons of God's roles is to be a prosecuting attorney to accuse uh, people. Um, here, the superhuman adversary or Satan. Now this is their commentary on this. The word with the article means that the meaning of the word should receive prominence and a nominative verb meaning to act as adversary to curse. Satan is a great accuser of the saints. Zechariah 3, Satan was standing there to Satanize or to accuse Joshua the priest. Revelation 12 talks about Satan and also refers to the character Satan as the serpent, the ancient serpent uh, from Genesis. He came among the angels at this time because he is one of them and has access among them, even though fallen Satan has yet to be cast down completely. This is their interpretation of this. Um, so the question is that nobody really knows the, the full answer to, is this Satan Satan Satan? Or is it like an angel who's a prosecuting attorney, not the real Satan. Because it's, it's kind of strange to think of Satan presenting himself before the Lord in heaven. And, uh, what, do you guys, what do you guys think of this? Have you ever wondered about it? I've seen a fairly definitive argument that the Hebrews didn't come up with an individual named Satan until after the Babylonian captivity yeah. when they were exposed to dualism for the first time. The idea that yeah. it was good and evil. Before that, yeah. God was responsible for everything. So there's a process in, in what's called um, progressive revelation that you know not everybody in the Bible at the early writings knew everything that we know now because there's the revelation of the process. And so the idea of Satan and who it is developed over time. Um, Isn't this yeah. book also, like, by a lot of scholars, considered, like, the first book, like, the oldest book of the Bible? Yeah. So, like, this even, like, if that's true, this predates, like, even Moses and the Exodus, and mm -hmm. so they don't, they wouldn't have the understanding of God that they would have had post-Moses, post-Jacob, post, -Moses, post, -Jacob, post mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know when the book itself was actually written, but it's the, the setting is prior to that. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't change a whole lot, I guess. Um, it's just, and I go back and forth on this issue. Sometimes it seems to me like it is Satan, and it could, I mean, it fits Satan. It's the Satan. I mean, the devil that we call the devil. But maybe it's just a, an angel whose job is to kind of roam around and start accusing people. It's interesting, though, how this goes. Um, so the angels, the sons of God, come to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So it's, it's God, really, who gets this ball rolling. I don't think you ever want God to brag on you. <laughs> I'd rather... Just, no, don't, don't brag on me. I don't if you consider my servant Job, there's no one like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking... Yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house and it collapsed on them and they are dead and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. What do you think? I would think that a prosecuting attorney would not have that power. So I, I, yeah. I lean more towards Satan, a yeah. uh, very evil spirit, to yeah. be able to have a power. Yeah. And definitely God is allowing this and, and I guess you could make the point that, that God's not doing it himself, but he is allowing the Satan to do this. It's a test, right? And it's harsh. <laughs> so, do you think this really happened? I mean this is why when I when I was reading this I was like, okay, well that service being just the way it's told 
I mean, that's, I mean, but, I guess bad things should happen like that. <laughs> I mean, emotionally, I have had moments in my life where it has felt that, like, over the course of months, it has felt exactly like this. Like, yeah. one thing happening after another, after another. And so, like, while I don't know if it actually, you know, in this case it was happening on the same day, but I can identify with just when you think that one thing is going bad and you're getting, you're kind of getting over the acceptance that of that, something else happens, mm -hmm. you know, something else happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that it is the real Satan. You know, it, it really plays with your mind because I can't think outside space and time. So I think, well, this is subsequent to the affair of the Garden of Eden. And so, you know, even though Satan brought havoc uh, through Eve and, and Adam, he's still in heaven talking to God and causing trouble. And, so um, maybe it's before he got into the battle with Michael. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in any event, we don't have all the information we would like to have about who Satan is, where he came from. I mean, people kind of put different passages together, like from Revelation and Isaiah and things like that. But the Bible is not an encyclopedia you just turn to under Satan. Okay, here's where he comes. You know, it's not a Wikipedia article. Yeah, I found myself thinking of this the same way I thought, or similar to how I thought about the Good Samaritan. Uh, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But it's a great story yeah. of what would be good to do. Yeah. And that anyone could. And so, you know, in the end, this is a great story about horrific circumstances. And there is a single man that actually made it through. Yeah. He is referred to in the book of James. Um, this is where my dad told me this joke. Told, I told him I was teaching on this. He told me to tell this joke, so I'm going to tell it. <laughs> Who's the best uh, doctor in the Bible? Job. He had so much patience. But in the book of James, it's talking about how Job, you know, as an example of someone who endured. I think there there may be maybe a difference between patience and endurance. Because Job in this book, you know, he's seen it, the first chapter he does really well. And we're gonna read chapter two, and then after that, he gets a little complaining. <laughs> a lot complaining. He's uh I don't understand this. This is not right. I'm, you know, I'm, he laments and he says, this is not right. I want God to show up and explain this to me. Um, so, he definitely endures, but he, you know, when we talk about the patience of Job, it's not just quiet, don't say anything about it type patience. And that's important too. And maybe just because James is referring to Job, you can refer to a character literary character, I guess. So, I mean, there, but there's all these things factor into whether you think it's Yeah. It's like, you know, the role that God plays in this is problematic. Um, it's like a mob ball saying, go ahead and do what you want to that person. <laughs> and you, they put a, it's like almost putting a hit out on somebody. Yeah. That's like problematic to me. Yeah. Maybe if you don't think God regards 
details of life or life itself. I had a student who wrote a paper on the historicity of Job, and that was his conclusion, was that he just didn't like what it said about God if this really happened. Uh, so he was more content to have it as a story. Yeah. Um, I have a tendency not to believe the bottom line that they want to read. Yeah. Because if somebody said something, I said, are you, is that true? Yeah. And if they say no, then yeah. I would, I would slough it off. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, I think we always need to be challenged by our view of God because we have limits on who we are and how we are. We always interpret God through our lenses, obviously. And uh, so I have a tendency not to question as much in Scripture. Well, I question, but I'm willing to accept uh, what's there because of my own limitations. What standard do I have to validate what's right and what's wrong? That's That's part of my struggle and making it just a genre that may be just a story and yeah. not real. But Jesus did that all the time. Yeah, I mean, parables, it, <clears throat> you're right. It's, a, it's just a question of genre to me. If it's intended, if the author intended it not to be historical, then it's not wrong to read it as a more like a parable. It all depends on, the, it's a genre question. You know, um, If I tell a story and I don't intend it to be literal, it still can work still can teach um, if I intend it to be literal but what you're saying is sometimes if it's if it really happened then it becomes a more impactful and have greater impact I start with, well there's a show called Fargo it's a TV show I'm not recommending to everybody in the room but um, you have to have a certain like dark dark shows but um, it start it's fairly rough anyway his brothers. Anyway, uh, not fairly but um, it starts off, this is a true story. And then, as I noticed, the word true for once, less than a second drops off. And when I, because something happened in the second season, I thought, there's no way this is true. And I looked it up online, and it's, they like starting their show with this is a true story because they like what that thinking it's a true story, what the viewer brings to that encounter. But it's not a true story. It's not. They're lying. They're, they're doing that. Anyway, this gets into the job, you know, but the, the first two seasons, I thought it was true, and so I watched it as true, and, I, you know, it's about police and murders and all that thing. And, but um, then when I realized it wasn't true, then I, oh, okay, well... Still, I like the show, but I watch it differently. So, yeah, this is a, this is an interesting genre issue. Yeah. Uh, other thoughts? Well, one thing that's just interesting to me is that I don't get the impression that Job's family was really all that spiritual and all that God believing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're the you know they're. Almost as if Job was being the helicopter parent, and, and, and you know, saying, I'm, "I'm going to, you know, he's so permissive. He's permissive. Yeah, I mean, he's going to let them do it, but then he's going to try to cover their sins just in case. <laughs> and you know, just logistically speaking, 
three raiding parties took 3,000 camels. I mean, that seems odd to me. That all yeah. the, you know, this, the fact that he would list all that to show his wealth and then say, I mean, it's almost to be emphatic of it's all gone, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, those are the types of things you look at in a literary perspective to figure out, is the author saying this really happened or is this more of a story? Uh, I was going to make a funny like comparing this to other Old Testament where it's like this is the son of, son of, son of, son of, and like they put them yeah. very specifically in it. We don't even know like George Kidd's names. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it, it is a little different from the other genres. And there is a category of literature in the ancient world of what's called theodicy or the problem of suffering. And so this is an example in the Bible. But there's, you know, Ugaritic literature and other literature that has characters similar to this or stories similar to this of, of one person who, who goes through a, a huge amount of suffering and how they deal with that and what that says about God and all those things. Yeah? I think I've always found this part a little bit disturbing of, like, the lack of what seems to me like care of life, where it's like, oh, you know... All these servants are dead, all these servants are dead, all these servants are dead, all your kids are dead. And it's just kind of like, oh, like you're using other, like kind of the idea that God would use, like kill people to teach someone a lesson. Yeah. And then what that says about your own life, it's like, well, am I just like a pawn in God's universe to, be, to teach someone else a lesson? Like, I, you know, is that how life, yeah. is that the measure of your life is to be an object lesson for something else. Yeah. Like, does that make sense? That's yeah, it is. It's um, the idea that God tests, and that is a biblical concept. He tests Abraham uh, by asking to offer Isaac. In the book of James, it does say that God does not tempt uh, anyone. But there, there's a difference between tempting and testing. The difference is... <coughs> A test is for you to pass. You learn something in the process and you pass. But the goal is to pass. Um, a temptation is what Satan does, and that he's trying to bring you down. The goal is to free you to fail. Um, so yeah, there can be tests, but what what does that mean? Yeah, what's that? Don't lead us into. How do you translate that word? So the same Greek word can be translated tent or test. It's all context. So the way I understand that word prayer, I know we say don't lead us into temptation, but to me that means something like protect us during times of testing. And to, and to me, and I get this from the wisdom literature as well, I don't know that God has to test us because I think things occur out of our control that are random and they just are gonna they're gonna happen. It's gonna you're gonna be tested from some source or another. Um, maybe there's a sense that God allows that. I, I like I mean your instinct is correct. It's wonder about that. Um, let's go to chapter 2 um, 
On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, Are we still in chapter 2? Okay. It sounds like chapter 1, though. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, shortest man in the Bible, that's another dad joke, um, Bildad the Shuhite. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay, and so far... <laughs> Or Nehemiah, one of those. <laughs> Zophar the Namathite heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads, and they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. And this is the best thing the friends do, is just be quiet for seven days. <laughs> Once they start speaking, it goes down. It goes bad. Because their interpretation is, Job, this wouldn't have happened to you, if you unless you had done something wrong. In the whole book, Job is like, I haven't done anything wrong. I mean, not to deserve this. That can't be right. That can't be right. And he keeps saying, you know, denying it, denying it. And the whole, the whole book is like a cycle of one of the friends speaking and then Job replying, and then another friend, and then Job, and another friend, and Job, and then this other character comes up at the end. And then Job finally says, I just want to hear from God. And God shows up at the end. Um, doesn't give any answers. Doesn't say, it's okay, Job. This was all a test. Job never, never is clued in God, in the book, he is never told this was a test. Satan came along, I bragged on you. He said you were just worshiping me because I blessed you. So I took that away. And then he said, well, if you strike his flesh, then he'll curse you, so I made you sick. Or I let him make that. She said this properly. He made you sick. Um, it's, it's, God just says, where were you when I created the world? And I know a lot more than you do. Um, that's that's the book, right? Um, but God does say at the end, Job's friends were wrong. They were wrong to say that Job must have sinned to his And Job was right. But Job never never gets to know that in the book. 
So what does um, what does Job one and two? And I know we're we're going to kind of save some things at the end of the book for for next not next week but the next class. Um, what do you think we're supposed to learn about suffering from these these two chapters? It's out of our hands. Say it again. Simplifying it, but uh, I see all this as saying a man can go your way and is making him very much aware of it. And uh, I think back in one of the points in the Old Testament to me was so popular to me was they wanted a king and he didn't want to bring the king. And he said, okay, I didn't. And he knew that was a wrong thing. They thought it was the right thing. And in the end, it was Jesus that really made this difference. And I think Job does a great job of saying that both sides of this equation. You can be on either side, you might be on the middle, whatever, but still do what I tell you. And Jesus will make that difference. Yeah. And I think as as Christians, as we talk about the issue of suffering, and that the Jesus story factors into that. That you know, God Himself, in the form of Jesus, takes on the suffering, redeems suffering. Um, that has to be part of a Christian reading of it. To, to... David, what are you going to say? I was just going to say that, it, in some ways, suffering's out of our control. Like, I mean, that, that's kind of whether we see it from God's point of view or Satan. Clearly. Job had no hand in it. Like, it was going to happen to him. He couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. It's very consistent with Ecclesiastes. Like, yeah. Everyday life is done by suffering. Mm-hmm. Know what you can control and what you can't control, and learn the difference, and learn to endure the things that you can't control. And not to be so judgmental of others, you know, when people's lives are. But this is jumping out away from them, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you can't see other people having terrible times and think, oh, God's been punishing them. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that the book of Job is in the Bible for that reason, because of this Deuteronistic theology that that filters down into our culture, whether you believe it or not, we get this view that if you're, you do all the right things, good things are gonna happen. You put good things out in the world, you know, karma. No, that's that's not, I mean, this book and Ecclesiastes stand to contradict that and say that's not the way, there's a lot of randomness in the world. And maybe not necessarily randomness, but ways that we just don't understand. Yeah. Random to us. Yeah. Maybe someday we can be clued in, yeah. and maybe farther along we'll know all about it, we'll understand why. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you write this? <laughs> and is that, is that encouraging to know that? Someday, or there may be, a, we'll we'll know all about it. Until you're encouraged to not. 
Yes, it's it's pebble, meaning not meaningless. It's just an enigma. Life is an enigma. What do you think about Job's wife? <laughs> it was a greater affliction to have her alive <laughs> than, than, than her dying with the rest of his life. <laughs> but at the same time, putting putting myself in her shoes, she went through the exact same thing that he went through. Yeah. And she lost all those things. Yeah. And so I I can do I can understand a little bit why she's almost mad at him for having this sense of, you know, she says integrity, but like, you know, why are we, why are we trying to do something that clearly God is, God's, she's feeling like God's punishing us. Mm-hmm. And so just go ahead and get it over with. Yeah. Like, get this pain over with. Yeah, I don't know exactly what <clears throat> she means by curse God and die. What she mean this? I don't know. Was that a Jewish? Um, Jewish? We'll look into that some more. Um, my footnotes say that this is a, a more recent translation of the word "the Lord" and who was actually blessed. Bless God. But it's it's meant sarcastic. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the in the text. It's not yeah, to place God. Right. And so it's been translated as curse. It's almost, you know, given what Dave is saying, that she's saying, just admit that you were, you're wrong, that you've done something wrong, and then just die, and then it'll be all, all over with. Why are you still saying you didn't do anything wrong? Why are you yeah. separate? Within our human nature, to wrap things up in a nice little bow, even if you go to the end of uh, the book, uh, you know, things turn out okay. Job recovered. Some people say that was added to, to, to the text. We don't know. But uh, I think it's okay to allow ourselves unanswered questions. Yes. And, 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 and uh, that's what it says to me. You know, life's hard. I, I can't answer it. I can't wrap things up in a nice little bow sometimes. Yeah. But it starts off with Joe worshiping God when all these things happen to him. And, and, and I'm like, how could that be? Uh, I'm thinking, well, maybe I need to, uh, to, 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 to be like Joe worshiping. And it's okay to question that. Yeah. It may not have a wrapped up bow. And that's a really important point because Job isn't just quiet the whole book. I mean, he's quiet in his first two chapters, but yeah, we he can starts know, we can know everything, or we can live by faith. Yeah. And and Job as a as a dialogue, you know, it's written by Jewish writers who, and and it has some application to their experience of exile and losing Jerusalem and losing the temple. And that's why Job continued probably to be told and written and thought about is how do we explain the fact that, you know, did we deserve that? Did we deserve? Is that because of our sin or are there other ways of explaining this? 
Um, that whole idea of being allowed to ask questions and being allowed to think about it. Yeah. Um, when we were talking Ecclesiastes about not being, uh, where it said, not be over-righteous, yes. don't be over-wise. Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe we're trying to be over-wise and we're trying to know more than God has given us. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what maybe being over-wise means. Yeah. Yeah, we never want to put ourselves in a place where we say, you, you tell me about any suffering, I'll explain to you why that matters. That, nobody can do that. We can't do that. It's impossible. But, again, we want to have some rationality. Well, when we come back, not next week, but the week after, um, we'll talk more about the ending of the book and where Job does get uh, seven... Uh, sons and three daughters who are the most beautiful daughters in the whole land. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. Is that a reward? Is that what we do with that? Why about the other daughters?